This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. It's time for Issues and Ideas, a show that features a wide variety of local voices sharing their thoughts and perspectives. Today, we'll get an update on the nonprofit organization called Women Aid. Our mission is really to provide urgent and emergency assistance to individuals and families. Mm-hmm. These stories and more coming up on Issues and Ideas. Good afternoon. It's Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm Carol Tangeman. Let's start with the nonprofit story. This is Dr. Consuelo Mutes, and today I have Ann McDowell. She is the president of the South San Luis Obispo County Women Aid. And Ann, thank you for being here with us on the nonprofit story. Oh, I am so excited and happy to be here. I really want to talk about the things that people can do to make their community a better place and talk in detail about South Slow County Women Aid. It's grown over the years. I remember it back when Sandy Richardson founded it, but I think there's been a lot of changes. So why don't you just tell your mission and generally what you do and why? I do think it's important to share the history. So I do want to talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. Sandy Richardson because, oh my goodness, what an amazing woman. In 2003, she founded San Luis Obispo County Women Aid. And from 2003 until about 2009, I think, it was just, you know, a little homegrown thing, raising Mm -hmm. money for people, direct donations for people who need emergency aid. Mm -hmm. And then they founded a 501c3 and got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then in 2017, uh, Sandy said, after 14 years of raising money and putting an astonishing amount of money, well over a million dollars back into her community, uh, she said, I can't do anymore, I've had Mm -hmm. enough. And she stopped. And so it's now, there are four organizations that have taken the place of the one that she ran. And we're the South County arm. We're South Slow County Women Aid. So it's an incredible thing to have somebody do it for that long and then to have people pick it up. Yes. And so Rosemary Cleaves picked up the picked up the rock and started carrying it mm-hmm. in South Slow County and then said to me, you know, here, come on in. The water's fine. Let's let's see mm-hmm. what you can do. And so now I'm the president. And and our mission is really to provide urgent and emergency assistance to individuals and families. Mm-hmm. So we're not here to um, help out people who can't make their rent month to month. But if somebody, for example, gets sick, now obviously we've all had experience with COVID over the last few years. And Mm -hmm. so people have been knocked out, you know, for a couple weeks here and there and unable to go to work. And if that happens and they don't earn money, they might not be able to make their rent that month. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they'll go to an agency such as a family resource center and say, hey, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm really in a bind this month. And we've given money to family resource centers and they're able to give them up to $500 and say, you know what, you're $300 short on your rent this month, but you're going to go back to work and keep earning money and be able to make that next month. Here, we're going to write you a check to your landlord, and that will cover that part of your rent. Mm-hmm. And it's right there. That That's the beauty of the aid that we're trying to organize for our community is you don't have to fill out papers. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to wait six weeks to see if something's mm-hmm. coming through. They'll write you a check right then and there. You're, you can't turn on your PG&E. We're going to write a check to PG&E for you right here and now and get it in the mail so that you can get your power turned back on. That sounds great. So let's break that down a little bit. I know that you are in several of the cities in the South County around here. Do you want to tell us which ones those are? I know you have Arroyo Grande, I think, and Grover Beach and some of them. Pismo Mm -hmm. Beach, Mm -hmm. Napomo, Oceano. 
So that whole area down in South San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. County, what's traditionally known as the five cities, but uh, really it's been Shell Beach, which we consider part of Pismo Beach and Oceano, Grover Beach, mm-hmm. Napomo, those ones. So. And uh, how do you find the need in those areas? Do you still find that there is a need? Or I know that, you know, we've had the pandemic, we've had these issues, as you've mentioned. What's the need for this service now? Well, that's 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 an interesting question. Um, when Sandy was working with San Luis Obispo County Women Aid, people would come directly to her with their asks and their wants, and she would write the checks. We have determined that we're not that good at figuring out where all the need is. But there's a number of organizations in our community that are really good at figuring out where the need is. Mm-hmm. For example, for example, the South County Youth Coalition. Mm-hmm. They help operate the um, Napomo, the Arroyo Grande, and the Oceano Family Resource Centers. And people go there for help, and their advocates interview these people, find out where they're at, and give them money that we have given the agencies. Mm-hmm. So we fund a number of agencies that are active in South Slow County, and they we give them money, and then they give the money out to people. Although we are looking at, in the coming year, going into a little bit more of a direct aid um, a direct aid direction, mm-hmm. but we haven't firmly finished up all those plans. But mm-hmm. we tend to think that the organizations that already have client advocates are the best ones who can identify the needs. That's a great idea so that you're working in partnership with so many people that already have that infrastructure set up. And I noticed on your website, I mean, you really have a wonderful, diverse uh, group of people you're working with from Lopez High School to um, Elementary Food Distribution Center and so many more. So there are really a lot of places where people can go. Do they the people in the community know about these uh, agencies, and are you finding that there are a lot of requests? Well, there. What we do, our model is we give agencies money, and then at the end of every month, they submit back to us a report mm-hmm. on all the money they've given out. And they don't personally identify the people that received the money, but they do identify the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So if we, for example, give money to families in transition, and uh, now, Families in Transition is within the Lucia Mar Union School District, and every year they send out a survey mm-hmm. to all the students and ask about their housing situation. And they find that about 10%, which is between um, 900 and 1,100 students mm-hmm. every year, about 10% of the Lucia Mar Union School District are housing insecure, which mm-hmm. means they're either homeless, they're unaccompanied minors, which is a child not living with their parents, but just maybe an older brother or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle, Um, couch surfing, living in cars, living in um, highly condensed housing networks, you know, like four families to a home, something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And Families in Transition works to help these people be successful, these children successful in school. So we'll give them money. And at the end of the month, they send us a report back and say, we gave it to a student Um, who didn't have transportation to school and they were able to buy um, or we bought them a bicycle and a helmet and a lock so they could get to school. And we've noticed that their attendance rate has risen. Nice. So, Mm -hmm. or they don't have enough clothes. So we went with them and we purchased some clothes and got them the shoes they need. These Mm -hmm. sorts of things. 
but they report it back to us so that we know where the money goes. We know where every penny goes. Mm-hmm. And we talk to our donors about the, the real needs that they are, in fact, helping to fulfill in South County. It's wonderful how you get so personal with what people need and give it exactly to them. If you are just joining us, this is Dr. Consuelo Mukes. I'm the host of The Nonprofit Story, and I'm speaking with Ann McDowell. She is the president of South San Luis Obispo County Women Aid. And how are you able to get the funds that you use to help people in the community? Well, that's a story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, Our biggest model up to now has been potlucks, uh-huh. which seems kind of strange but what we do is we we have a potluck for example I do one at my house in April and I invite my friends and we put it out to the people who have given us their email addresses and say you know you can come to this address on this date and you bring a dish to share and a check for $50 a minimum of $50 people Mm -hmm. certainly do bring more sometimes Mm -hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna have the advocates from the various agencies we fund come in and talk about where the money goes Mm -hmm. and the people that they have helped with the money and any needs that they have moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so the people come and they give us a check and they share some food and some some drinks and some fun and laughter, but they hear the real stories from the people who are on the streets, boots on the ground, as it were, Mm -hmm. about what the needs are in our community. And there is a lot of need in our community. Mm-hmm. And that's the primary way we raise money. But we certainly encourage people. We talk to our donors a lot, and we certainly have people who have signed up to do a monthly bill pay. And so mm-hmm. they'll just send us a check once a month, which is really helpful for us as we work to budgeting with the agencies and making sure they get enough funds to keep moving forward. So while we're talking about that, where do they find out about uh, how to send that money? Is that through your website? We do have a website. Mm-hmm. It's sslocw.org. And you can find out all sorts of things. We have our newsletters on there. And in each newsletter is an accounting of where all the money went. Obviously, mm-hmm. the agencies don't share the names of the people with us. They just share the circumstances. But you'll see, you know, a family of four uh, lost lost housing or had a flood or had something happen and needed, you know, food, clothing, whatever it is they need, utilities paid. And so all those stories are laid out in our newsletters so that people know exactly what their money went to spend. Mm-hmm. And probably um, things that maybe we don't always even think about. Sometimes you had children's books, uh, feminine hygiene products, toiletries, teacher supplies. I mean, just a lot of different types of things that Right. We so don't think people we need. do have money. You know, we, we certainly collect money. But mm-hmm. the other thing we do is we do very targeted drives. And there's certainly something known as hygiene poverty. Yes. So mm-hmm. if you go to the store and you look at the cost of your shampoo and your soap and your toothpaste and your deodorant and for women, for women feminine mm-hmm. hygiene products, they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. And we know um, from the counselors in schools that there are some young teenage women who don't go to school when they have their period Mm. because they can't afford to purchase feminine hygiene products. So at least twice a year we do hygiene poverty drives and we ask all these people to bring hygiene products to central locations. Mm -hmm. We'll have like four or five locations and we collect all these 
items, and then we distribute them. We we distribute them to the schools. We distribute them to the resource centers. We distribute them to anybody who wants to give them out free, so that people can have them if they need them. And it works out really well. But we also do that with books. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a feminine hygiene mm-hmm. poverty drive. We'll have a hygiene poverty drive. We'll have a book drive. We also have a food drive. So we just finished up over the holiday season. We did. Um, Thanksgiving food baskets for 139 families in That's South amazing. County. Mm-hmm. And then for Christmas, we did a big winter break program um, where we got more staple foods to get uh, families through the winter breaks. Because it turns out in California, you can get a free breakfast or a free lunch at school for your child, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but they can't get it during the breaks. And so some of these families are you know, really depend on that food to help get them through the day. So we made sure to get the schools to help us identify families in South County that weren't going to have enough food to get through that break. And we distributed large food drops mm-hmm. to 85 of those families. That's fantastic. And we were so very lucky to get a grant, not only from the mm-hmm. County Board of Supervisors to help us with that, but the Grover Beach City Council gave us mm-hmm. a grant as well. To um, And so we were able to focus 50 of those families in Grover Beach. Well, shout out to those supporters who helped you with that one. And it. You're saying that we deliver. It sounds like you have a lot of volunteers maybe that work for you, or do you have staff or what? Well, work for us is something interesting. Our bylaws on our board say nobody gets paid. Okay. So we are an all-volunteer organization. Uh, The only money we spend is for our insurance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because everybody has to have insurance to walk out the door. (laughs) you got to be insured. Um, And things like office supplies, paper, um, and I think uh, our software costs to run uh, QuickBooks so that we can mm-hmm. keep track of the money and make sure we file all the correct taxes right. at the end of the year. But that's mm-hmm. the only thing we spend money on. Mm-hmm. Um, every other penny goes right back into the community, mm-hmm. which is a, a really nice way to do it. So do you look for volunteers or do you already We do. So we had a lot of volunteers okay. show up for these events uh, over the over the holidays. Mm-hmm. Once a month, we do a food distribution down in Napomo with the cooperation of the food bank. Mm-hmm. And we have volunteers come there as well and uh, help just help organize the food, help pack it into bags, and then help hand it out. We're, we're running a little over 300 families at each distribution right now. It's one of the largest that the food bank says they do in cooperation with the community mm-hmm. agency. So we're pretty excited about that. We're not excited that there are 300 families that feel the need to receive food support, but we are excited that we're able to help. Absolutely. So it sounds like you are doing a great job and there really is a need. Oh, there's definitely a need. We we work very closely, for example, with Lopez High School, mm-hmm. and they have something out behind Lopez High School called the Lopez Wolf Den, and it's a shed, and in the shed are school supplies, clothing, shoes, hygiene supplies. Wonderful. And the kids can just fill out a slip and go back and go shopping there anytime mm-hmm. they want and get the things they want, and the women who run that um, are amazing. And if there's an item in there that isn't that the child wants uh, and isn't there, they'll go out and shop for it. Mm. So we give money to Lopez High and their Wolf Den to help make sure that those students who are working so hard to finish high school have have all the resources they need to be able to go on and finish. That's wonderful. So, Anne, it sounds like if people really do want to help or maybe come to one of the potlucks or another way to raise money, that maybe they should go to your website and get information? Absolutely. The people can send us a check. They can send, you know, through PayPal. They can come to a potluck. Anything, you know, send us a note, drop us 
sent a carrier pigeon. We don't care. We'll <laughs> we'll we'll get you the information and and let you understand what we do with money, how we support our community, and the many things that we can help you feel good about too. That's wonderful. I just applaud the work that you're doing in the community for those most needed. Would you one more time give us your website? The website is www.sslocw. And that is for South San Luis Obispo County Women Aid. It is. And (laughs) I I want to just give a quote that I heard somebody say that I really resonated with me and and I talk a lot about. And that is that you you help build the community you want to live in. Hmm. And so all the people involved in Women Aid are trying to build a better, more resilient, stronger community so that we can all live together in a better place. Fantastic. I have been speaking with Ann McDowell. She is the president of South San Luis Obispo County Women Aid. This is Dr. Consuelo Mukes, your host, and this is the nonprofit story. Up next, playing with food. <laughs> This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Americans love beef, pork, and chicken. Per person, we each eat about 58 pounds of beef, about 50 pounds of pork, and a whopping 100 pounds of chicken each year. By contrast, Americans consume a mere 1.1 pounds of lamb and mutton per person per year. And there weren't any stats about goat meat, but with those statistics, it's kind of a moot point. But leave it to the California Central Coast to have a hobby farm raising lamb and goats for high-quality meat. Just south of Salinas, partway up a hill overlooking America's salad bowl, sits Turning Leaf Ranch. The Playing With Food team was very interested in this small-scale animal husbandry, so off we went. Brian Palmer, goat farmer for about six years now, goat and lamb. The basics to this type of animal husbandry, well, first and foremost, you would start with fencing. Most people know goats are quite curious and and very energetic, and they love to explore and get into all kinds of trouble. So with goat farming, number one is you got to have good fencing. Number two is diet. When I first got into goats, I had the misunderstanding that they were actually really strong, robust animals that could really handle a lot of stress and were just kind of bulletproof. And I quickly found out that it's not the case. Goats are actually quite delicate, may not be the right way of describing it, but you have to be careful with them. The number one thing to keep them in good health is good diet. On our farm, we're 100% grass and pasture raised. Uh, We don't do any grains or any concentrates or anything like that. So our primary feed is alfalfa, and that's got um, really high protein content. It's a really complete amino acid profile. It's somewhat low in energy, so we also supplement with sorghum sudan grass, which is more of a carbohydrate rich, less protein, more carbohydrate. Once they have a good diet, that'll kind of set them up for good health. Around here, we don't have a very high parasite load. Parasites are the number one killer of goats. If you have high parasite load, you have to give them chemical dewormers, or some people use uh, natural dewormers like garlic, or they use things like tannin-rich, things like uh, walnuts, walnut shells. Some people use willow. So there's all kinds of different remedies. By and large, most people producing at a small scale like this, they'll just use a chemical dewormer. That's kind of the basics, right? Good strong fencing, good high quality feed, and then watch for parasites. And then shelter around here is not super essential. Our winters are super mild. Our summers are super mild. You can see there, they've actually destroyed that shelter a bunch of times. I'm (laughs) rebuilding it at the moment. Earlier today, my my ram, I'm not sure where he is right now, but earlier today, my ram was actually, he got his head all the way through. He opened up that hole right there and he had his head all the way through and he was stuck (laughs) in the shelter. So it's pretty much just a constant 
kind of they destroy it and then I have to rebuild it and they destroy it again. So shelter around here is not super essential like it would be in a, in a colder environment or a warmer environment. Can we go take a look at them? Sure. Yeah. Cool. These are meat animals, they're pasture raised, so pretty much they're out in the summer once the pasture's eaten down, we'll feed them every day. In the spring we'll rotate them, so I have animal panel that I set up and move periodically, so I'll break this up into paddocks and I'll move the animals through the paddocks. Right now they're in what's called a sacrifice paddock. If we let them graze the entire property, it would all look like this. Okay. And I know that from experience because when we first got animals, there was set stocking. Set stocking is you just set the animals out, they just do their thing. The whole property will end up looking like this if you don't contain them. And describe what we're looking at. It's all just eaten down, bare dirt. Outside of the fence, you'll notice that there's a whole lot more vegetation, and that's intentional, right? A gentleman I follow, uh, his name is Gabe Brown, and he has what he calls the five components of soil health. And they are keep the soil covered as much as possible, living root in the soil as much as possible, diversity, 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 that's the way he says it, animal impact, the last one is uh, reduce mechanical disturbance. The first principle, you want to keep the soil covered as much as possible. So here in the sacrifice paddock, you can see it's been eaten down. We're feeding hay. We're letting the pasture rest, keep the soil covered. That'll reduce moisture loss. That will increase microbial activity. Whatever is able to grow out there will continue to grow throughout the summer. As the rains start in October, November, December, the pasture will start to grow again. We can start rotating the animals again, but we pull them off during the really dry summer months into the sacrifice paddock just to keep the rest of the pastures healthy. When you have them in a different pasture, does the sacrifice pasture ever grow vegetation or is it just completely, do all of those five principles, have they been thrown out of the bathtub for this pasture? It does grow out during the rainy season. It grows a lot of the broadleaf types of plants. So it'll grow mallows, it'll grow lamb's quarter, things like that. So a lot of broadleaf here. We keep them off the sacrifice paddock as long as we can because we know that eventually we're gonna have to bring the animals back in here. And so we do want it to grow out at some point during the summer, we have to bring them in and it's gonna get eaten down at that point. I see the two tiny, tiny little baby goats. Yeah, we've got three of those little guys. So there's one here, oh, there's, there's one over there, and then yeah, that little guy over there. Okay, do you do the whole life cycle? Do you regenerate your own stock? Little of both. We have several people that we buy from. We have some that are born on site and we have some that are bought in at like a year of age or so. This little guy right here with the brown head, he was bought in, he's about a year old. It's probably like 50-50. Half the animals are born on site and half the animals that we process are purchased in and we grow out for like the last six months or so. We usually run six to 10 breeding. Some of them will get replaced over time. Others will just sell off if they're not productive, if they skip a year. So generally we wanna see the animals have at least two offspring per year. So if they skip a year or if they tend to have one, we might sell them off. We actually sell a lot more goat meat than we do lamb. And so with the sheep, we have three breeding and then one ram, which is around here somewhere. We do all of our own lamb, but then with the goats, we buy in like another probably 10 to 15 per year. What's the perfect age to sell a goat for food? That really depends on how they're raised and what your goals are. The younger they are, the more tender they're gonna be. The older they are, the larger the animal will be. Our market tends to like the leaner, very low fat profile. We don't feed any grain. We don't feed any concentrates like protein tubs and there's pellets and things like that. We don't feed any of that stuff. If you feed that type of thing, the animals will grow large and fast, but they tend to have a fattier profile and the meat tends to take on, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a, I don't know, just kind of an artificial flavor, like kind of a cardboardy flavor. With our animals, they're slower grown, they have a lower fat profile, and again, they're fed only grass, so they don't take on any of the off flavors that you get from the concentrates. We sell them at about a year and a half.
You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, learning how to raise goats and sheep for meat. Goat and sheep herder Brian Palmer is introducing me to his herd. The large white one there, this uh, lady here, and the one in the middle, those are the breeding. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. Numbers two and four are going to be processed eventually. And who's this? That gentleman is Arrow. My daughter's name them all. My daughters want to keep him for a pet, so we'll see. Maybe he'll end up going to the processor at some point, but that'll be kind of a conversation I have with my daughters. <laughs> Do your daughters understand animals and meat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've grown up with this. We moved here when they were two. And they have eaten the animals? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, they love it. I've had times where I'll be eating some lamb, and they'll literally just come and start taking it off my plate because they want <laughs> some for themselves. They going to let us out? Boy. Excuse me. This area grows out pretty lush during the summer. We've got these movable panels here. So they've eaten this down, and you can see there's more grass over to the northwest there. So I'll shift them over, they'll have that grass. I'm basically trying to keep them out of these trees. So you can see I've got a bunch of fruit trees here. I have the large gates that I use with that animal panel in front, and the gates basically give it structure, and then the animal panel keeps them from kind of wiggling out. And we're going to use rotating panel almost exclusively. A lot of this interior fencing just won't be here in a few years. I set it up into little pens. I move those pens along so that they can eat down the pasture and then give it a chance to regrow. And you'll notice here I've got this vegetation growing outside of that fence. Mm -hmm. That's actually a special kind of tree. It's called a paulonia tree. It's really high in protein, comparable to alfalfa, and it's extremely fast growing. So those are in their second year. And if the goats hadn't gotten to them, they would all be as tall as that one there. That one's okay. about 10 or 12 feet tall. Uh, the goats got to them, so <laughs> that's, like I said, what goats do. Once those are fully grown out, that's actually going to be sort of a summertime feed for the animals. You can eat it down to the ground, and at that very same season, it will actually spring up. And then I've also got a big mix of other things, some leguminous trees in there. Down the field, I have mulberry, chestnut, ash, walnut. I'm transitioning the farm from being just straight pasture into being more of a tree and shrub based farm. That's the goat's preferred food. There's a system used a lot in other countries called a cut and carry system. Over the summer, everything around here dries up, right? I mean, you can see the hills are just completely bare. Mm -hmm. It's only the stuff with the deep roots, like the, the trees, the shrubs and everything that will be able to grow um, without excessive irrigation. Over the summer, the animals will probably still be in a sacrifice paddock like they are now, but as the trees are growing out and there's enough vegetation to harvest, I'll be cutting, carrying it over, and they'll consume it there. That leaves a whole bunch of extra stuff, the branches and, and twigs and everything. That will then get composted down. I plan on using that for uh, mushroom bedding. The longer-term vision of the farm is not really goat-based. Longer term, it's going to transition into more of like a perennial-based system that'll kind of have like positive feedback loops over time, right? So increasing soil quality, increasing moisture uh, utilization, increasing solar utilization, still feeding the goats, but then also getting a lot of other benefit. We have hazelnuts. We have chestnuts growing currently, but the trees will eventually start producing chestnuts. We'll be getting all these extra products out of the trees that will also service the goats. It's like a super long-term vision. It's going to require a lot of patience and a lot of frustration <laughs> to, to really get it going. Ultimately, long-term vision is that kind of virtuous circle of the perennials feeding the system and the system kind of feeding back to the perennials and have things gradually improve long-term.
on the one hand, I am a bit of a fish out of water doing goat and lamb in the salad bowl of the world, right? I have actually been able to kind of capitalize on that a little bit because there's a lot of food waste that comes out of the Salinas Valley, like literal tons and tons every single day. I actually pick up product pretty often, pallets of lettuce, celery, cabbage. It's high in nutrition, but low in calories. I'm able to kind of offset the feed costs a little bit by doing that. I do think that there's actually a service basically that we could provide for the food system writ large. All that wasted produce could be put to use in an operation like this. Can we go see those sheep? Sure, we can okay. see the sheep. I do have one extra set of uh, goats down here. Okay. The females born this year have them separated from the rest of the herd so they don't get pregnant. So got these four over here. If they get pregnant, does that change their flavor? I don't know about their flavor, but what it'll do is it'll stunt their growth. Basically, they divert all their energy into producing the offspring and then after that, producing all the milk for the offspring. And so if you have a goat that gets pregnant early, they're not gonna grow to their full potential. It's also hard on their bodies as well because they have a small frame. In the first year of pregnancy, their frame is so small they have difficult birthing the babies. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian in Salinas learning how to raise goats and sheep. Brian Palmer has a hobby farm as a side hustle to his math teacher job, and he's making it work with creative ways to reduce costs and providing a product that people really want. Hi. Hi, baby. These are the actual market lambs that we're going to be selling. So we've got six of them here. This one up front, she's a bottle baby, so we're going to keep her. She's a real sweetie. Tim and Laura, so they have a couple of fenced-in pastures, so the, the lambs were here for probably about two months. Then we just recently moved them over here so they'll graze down this vegetation here. It's not super high quality, but it's like all brown and crispy, not a whole lot of nutrition there. So I do give them some supplemental alfalfa. This has been a godsend in terms of profitability. When we were up at 60 animals, we had to feed so much hay that we were just really, really struggling to break even. Having these guys down here, we've reduced the amount of hay that we feed these guys down to, this is only like their fourth bale in probably about three months. And each bale is $25. When I was feeding 60 animals last year, you can imagine a bale and a half per day. Last year, it wasn't quite as expensive. Last year was like 16, 18, $20 a bale in that range, depending on uh, when you bought it. And so you can imagine a bale and a half per day, every single day versus four bales over three months, right? Yeah. And so this has been a big, big win in terms of profitability. And it's worked out well. Their interest was getting the pasture eaten down. They were just gonna mow it. You can see where they started mowing it. And Laura reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in grazing some goats down here? I said, no, <laughs> because the goats are just going to get out and start destroying people's property. But I will bring some lambs down. And they absolutely love the lambs. They're very, very sweet. They're just beautiful animals. They're a special breed, American black belly. My wife summed it up really nicely. She said they look like little deer out eating in the pasture. They shed their wool over the summer. The wool with the lanolin is actually what gives lamb its sort of... Um, Kind of the mutton flavor, right? It's the like, stench that comes from the fat the next yeah, day when it, in the kitchen. Exactly. So that uh, that comes from the lanolin. These guys, since they shed their wool, they don't pick up that oily scent in the meat. So these guys are actually a really well-known meat breed. The product is absolutely phenomenal. I would say that our flagship product is the uh, lamb chops. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal meat. Where do I get those? <laughs> <laughs> I've got them up at the house. We got some feedback from our customers. They said, you know, when I buy goat meat at a traditional market or at a meat shop or whatever, it has a stench to it. They say they open the package and it just, it doesn't smell like clean, high quality meat. Part of that comes from feeding concentrates. 
a big bucket. It's got ground soy in it, maybe some kelp meal, molasses. The animals love it. It's really high in nutrition and it's really high in protein, but it gives the meat kind of an off flavor. What people think of as like the goat scent, that's mostly in the fat. When you're tasting the meat itself, it's actually really, really good meat. It's similar to lamb, but it's a little bit sweeter. The moments that you taste goatiness is when you're tasting the actual fat. And so our customers, they always specify trim excess fat, low fat, try and get me pieces without too much fat. It's this kind of recurring theme of the fat is where that sort of like goaty scent is, right? So the fact that our animals are 100% pasture raised and grass fed means that they don't get that same level of fattiness, first of all, and also the fat that they do have, they don't pick up those flavors from the concentrates. One of our customers, he said, the quality of goat meat that you produce is on par with goat that I've had at Michelin three-star restaurants. We have really positive feedback from our customers saying that they can't get this quality of meat anywhere. I had a guy up in the Bay Area. He said he literally went to every single butcher shop in the Bay Area that sold goat meat and he couldn't find any decent quality goat meat. It wasn't until he found me way down here in Salinas. He's up in uh, Dublin and he was literally buying from this random guy in Salinas because it's the only quality goat meat he could find. That's pretty much why I do this, right? It's like when I have customers who are saying that I'm creating such a valuable product to them, it's hard like we just saw with goats getting their heads stuck or with them destroying the infrastructure or getting out and destroying trees. It's so easy to want to throw your hands up and say like, I'm, I'm, in fact, I've done it multiple times, four or five times. I've walked in the house and announced to my wife, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Then I talk with my customers and I make my deliveries and we chat and we, you know, give all the updates and they're always so interested in what's going on. And they're so eager to get the product. I've had people tell me like, we're so grateful to have this. How can you stop when you're providing something like that for people so i don't see the process i drop the animals off they're taken in processed and then they call me four or five days later to pick up the finished product we sell exclusively direct to customer we have one buying club that we sell to and then all the rest is individual customers that either they're on a subscription or they buy from us a couple pounds at a time for goat and sheep separately, what's your total poundage per year? Last year we sold about $20,000 worth of product, so divide that by 15, 1,300 pounds basically. And that's finished product. That's not a lot. No. But does yeah, it keep you going? Currently it's paying for itself, depending on the month. Sometimes we're profitable, sometimes we're not profitable. I've reduced the herd size quite a bit. Last year, spring, I had about 60 animals. I've cut us way down just because I knew summer was coming. We hadn't had enough rain for the pasture to be productive. So the pastures just did not stretch far enough. So I actually cut back on the number of customers because we cut back on customers, I was able to reduce the herd. So the pasture now has gone a lot further, which reduced our cost. That's allowed us to be significantly more profitable this year than last year. It was my turn to find out if the meat was as good as all of Brian's customers were saying. I got a small shoulder steak of goat and one of lamb so I could compare the two side by side. I asked Brian if I should simply pan fry them with salt and pepper to do the comparison, and he suggested that I prepare them as I would any other shoulder piece. So I made two separate dishes of birria, one goat and one lamb. I toasted dried chilies, cooked them up with aromatics and herbs, whizzed them up into a sauce. I seared both shoulder steaks, put them in separate pots and poured the sauce over them. I popped them into the fridge for eight hours to bathe in deliciousness. Then I set them on the stove to simmer for three hours until the meat was falling off the bone. First, I must say that neither the goat nor the lamb stunk up my house. Now it's time to take some meat, some cabbage, onion, radish, cotija, cilantro, and avocado, squeeze it all between the corn tortilla, dip it into the birria consomme, 
and tuck in. I'm here with my plate of goat birria and lamb birria with all the accoutrement, the consomme, and tortillas that have been pre-warmed with the cotija cheese. I'm going to start with the goat. My goat birria taco is ready to go. Mmm. Very nice. Mmm. He's right. Similar flavor to lamb. No strong goatiness. Didn't make my house smell. And there wasn't any fat to scrape off of the consomme after I braised the goat shoulder. And now time for the lamb birria. I did try each of them separately and they do taste very similar, but the goat actually has a lighter character to it than the lamb. I have my lamb birria taco assembled. It's very delicious. Tastes like lamb. It isn't as strong as lamb that you buy in the grocery store. And I'm glad I did the goat first because it does have a lighter flavor than the lamb. Very delicious. This is Playing With Food's first look into raising animals for food. It's such a different experience than driving along I-5 and seeing and smelling the big feedlots. I have friends who, in the past, have been vegetarian, stating that if they knew where the meat came from and how the animals were raised, they would eat meat. Turning leaf lamb and goat meat would definitely qualify. Remember his customer all the way in Dublin in the Bay Area? Well, I'm actually 16 miles further than downtown Dublin. For high-quality, delicious, sustainably farmed meat, 120 miles in an all-electric vehicle charged by the sun is definitely worth doing. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food. You've been listening to Issues and Ideas on KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. Gary Eister composed our theme music. A special thanks to all our guests and contributors this week. I'm Carol Tangeman. Join us each Monday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon for more local stories. You can head to our website to learn more about what you heard today or to listen to past segments, kcbx.org.